for today, though, we want to press into uh, this thought we're going to call a clean slate. Okay, so with a new year kind of comes some new excitement, and we'll talk about that here briefly, but um, Jude is where we're going to be this morning, the book of Jude. So if you want to turn there, we're going to read this little letter, and we'll be there momentarily. Um, there is uh, a text on the wall. You can follow along there if you'd like, or it's in your Bible. If you're not familiar with where Jude is, turn to the very back of your Bible. You'll find Revelation, 22 chapters. The book just prior is probably only a page in your Bible, unless you have a study Bible. Uh, that will be our little letter of Jude that we're going to spend our time in, in today. Um, but before we get to there, let's talk. And so, have you ever had a moment in your life where you wish you could press the reset button? Now, just think of that little button up there that you see on the screen as a reset button. Has there ever been a moment where you wish you could just go, dink? Yeah. Right. Has there been a moment recently? I'm not going to ask you to share. I don't want to get anybody you know, too personal. But we probably all had moments where we wish we could hit the reset button. Kind of like a do-over. You ever wish you had a do-over in life? I wish I could go back to that moment in time and just say something different. Or I wish I could say it with a different tone. Or I wish I would go back in that moment and not say anything. Or I wish I would say something instead of being quiet. Or I wish I would have done this instead of doing that. Like, we, we've got probably plenty of moments in our life where we wish we could go back and do it over. Reminds me of an Etch-a-Sketch. You guys remember Etch-a-Sketch? I think most people in this room know what an Etch-a-Sketch is. You know when you could draw with that little Etch-a-Sketch and create your design? And if you didn't like it, what would you do with it? You just shake it up and what happens to it? It disappears, right? Wouldn't that be nice if you could just kind of go back and redo yesterday, if maybe that was a bad day for you. You just kind of shake the time of yesterday, clean slate, nothing there, and start fresh. Now, one of the great things that a new year brings is kind of the, the excitement of that, isn't it? It's kind of like a journal that has yet to be written for the year. It's full of blank pages, uh, but there's no script yet. And so you're living out the script. You know, 2016 is full, and we've closed the door on that one. But 2017 is brand new. Does this bring freshness to you? Like some people, when they think of a new year, they get really overwhelmed. Everything I've got to get done. That's not you? Right? For me, it brings a sense of excitement, just kind of newness. I get a chance to start or try something over here again. So that's going to be the avenue that we're going to pursue, the the way that we're going to pursue this text, rather, um, in Jude, uh, looking at all 25 verses here. Now, Do you think that there will be some things this year that will happen in your life that are entirely out of your control? All right? So that tends to happen, doesn't it? We could look back over this last year and go, I wasn't planning for that to break. I wasn't planning to, you know, have this relationship dissolve. I wasn't planning on losing my job. I wasn't planning on this person in my life passing away. There's just a lot of stuff that we're not planning on that just seems to happen to us. So, Even though we may not write that in our script for 2017, what we've got to be prepared to do is respond when these things come because they're definitely going to come. And so Jude's going to give us some great insight here, not just for today, but these will be the two verses that we'll announce at the end of our services from now till the end of next December. So we have finished with Ephesians 3. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You remember that verse? According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Right? Hopefully you got that memorized somewhere that just sticks with you uh, when you think about 
the immeasurable God. So Jude 24 and 25 is going to be kind of our reminder before we go out of these doors and head out to eat or back to our families or our places of work or to school, people we're going to interact with. These are the scriptures we want kind of fresh in our mind as we head out the door. And so we're going to talk about them a little bit today. But we're going to read the whole chapter. So if you've got your Bible, you can follow along with me. We'll go verse 1 through 25, and that'll be this entire letter here. Let's talk just a minute about Jude. Jude is, is the half-brother of Jesus, which would be great in some ways. You know, in some ways, I'm sure it would stink. And you've heard that before. You know, why can't you be more like Jesus? I heard that my whole life. Only it was Travis. Why can't you be more like your older brother, Travis? We thought Travis was Jesus because he can never do anything wrong. But I'm sure Jude felt that way and James, others felt like, Maybe I can't measure up to who he is. And they may have even felt a little distant. Jude was one of these who seemed to be a little distant initially. Didn't believe that he was the son of God. You're my brother. You're nothing special. Okay? And so it took him a little while, but he's going to come on later here and realize uh, that Jesus actually was the Messiah, how this was all uh, unfolded, and what his role was in it. And he's going to write here to encourage some people just to keep fighting. Remain in the battle. Okay, you ever get to that point where you feel like I'm out? Or you just kind of tap, I'm out, I've had enough. So I'm not going to keep fighting, I'm not going to try anymore, I'm just going to do my thing, and then whatever happens, happens. I'm just tired of whatever, working, I'm tired of striving, I'm tired of praying so hard and not seeing results, I'm just out. Right? Jude's going to talk to some people who were like that to encourage them just to remain in the fight. Keep contending for the faith will be the phrase that he uses. So if you've got your Bible, you can follow along here, or we'll be on the wall as well. This is Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He's writing to those who've been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Not real sure who Jude wrote to, other than what he has outlined here in verse 1. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, they've secretly slipped in among you, and they're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Okay, did you know that before? Okay, so much of what we do in teaching and preaching is simply what Jude's doing here in his letter. I just want to remind you. I know you know this. I want to remind you. I know you heard this before. I just want to say it again, right? And so that's what he says here. I want to remind you what God did to those in Egypt. He delivered them. They didn't believe, and they were destroyed. And the angels who do not keep their positions of authority, but they abandon their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as, as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people, the ones who've slipped in, they pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, they heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, he did not uh, himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, leave that to the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, 
And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. So woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit in Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. They're autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. They're twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, he prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people, they're grumblers. They're fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, here again, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. And here they are. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by a corrupted flesh. And to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And so here we are this morning. We're going to look through particularly these last two verses, they all connect to the previous 23 um, as it relates to living a life that is a clean slate uh, sort of living. So a few things we'll note if you'd like to uh, follow along. You can write these down somewhere if you choose. You don't have to whatsoever. Typically, we'd have you write those on your bulletin if you wanted to. Um, we don't have a bulletin to put in your hand today. Still working on that. All right, so let's go here. Initially here, a clean slate means, number one, we don't have to stumble in our faith. We don't have to stumble any longer in our faith. So we're not really sure who Jude was writing here uh, to, but what is for sure is that he wanted to remind these people of some ways that they could battle, of some ways that they could strive, of some ways that they could remain active in their, in their faith. And so as he starts this letter, he says, you know, I'd love to write to you, and I was planning to write to you about the salvation that we share. To me, this is kind of like a sweet tea conversation sitting in a lawn chair on the green grass of heaven. Want to be there? Or your beverage of choice, just kind of sitting there kind of talking about how good God has been to us and how His grace has poured over us and all the blessings that we've experienced. Kind of like, let's just sit around and talk about how great God is. Jude says, that's what I plan to write to you about. But I can't do that. Because I'm compelled to urge you to do something different in light of the culture, in light of the society that you're living in. I'm going to write to you and encourage you to contend for the faith. So when you think of the word contend... What do you think of? One or two word definition. You can help me out here. Contend means fight. Compete. Anybody else? Contend. Contend. 
content, would be happy, right? Contend with a D, C-O-N-T-E-N-D, contend. Deal with it, okay? Anybody else contend? All right, well, if you were to look this up in the dictionary, you're right on track. Here's what you'll find. You're going to find that there's a struggle, right? Contend means to struggle. It means to fight. It means to battle. It means to debate earnestly, okay? Not just debate, but to do so with a sincere heart. And it means to strive with or to strive for, okay? So when you look up that word contend, sometimes we think a lot about fighting or the battle or the struggle, but there's also this thing about I'm wanting something more for you than you even want for yourself. I'm contending for you, and I'm contending for what is true so that it doesn't affect me what it is that you're dealing with in your life. Now, why would Jude write and say, hey, you need to contend for the faith? He needed to write because what we read about, right? There's some people who've slipped in, and they've slipped in unaware, and they are living in ways that are distracting, and they can draw you away from what's true. Now, this may or may not be true in this church. Only God knows each of our hearts. Maybe people slipped in, but it's definitely true of our society at large. People have slipped in here, and they have lived in ways that are not God-honoring. And the result is, if we're not careful, we can be drawn to that. So Jude's writing, saying, contend for the faith so that you won't be drawn to that. And so to contend it, we've got to know it. And we've also got to know those who we're standing against. So just to think about who these people are, let's revisit what he wrote about them. Here's some of the descriptive words of the people who've slipped in. He says, these are ungodly people. They are perverters of grace. Excuse me, those who were perverters of grace were those who, the Bible says, gave license to themselves and to others to live in uh, sin, knowing that you could be forgiven of that. It's kind of like Saturday night is New Year's Eve, so I can go get wasted, and I can show up Sunday and say, oh, he'll forgive me because he's a God of grace, all right? Not that he won't forgive, but that's not the heart that is really knowing and understanding the grace of God, right? So they live with free license. I can do whatever I want, perverters of the grace of Christ, because all he'll do is forgive me. These were also people who were deniers of Christ. They were polluters of their own bodies. So see if any of this sounds like the culture and country that you and I are a part of here. They reject authority. That sounds true, right? If they're blue, shoot them. It's kind of the common mantra in our country right now. Don't worry about police officers, disrespect, authority, live how you want, whatever. They reject authority. They slander. They are blemishes at love feasts. Uh, when people gather to take the Lord's Supper, there are those there, you're kind of like, ooh, like their heart's not right. They're not here gathering because they want to please God or be reminded that it's, Return is imminent or that they have a mission to fulfill. They're just here getting full. Uh, they are uh, people who feed themselves. They're shepherds who only feed themselves. They're clouds without rain, trees without fruit, wild waves of the sea, wandering stars in the darkness. They're grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves. They flatter for their own advantage. They're scoffers. They're dividers of, of the believer. Uh, they follow their own natural instincts, okay? I think most of this, if not all of this, could be said of the current context that we live in, those who are outside of Christ. And so all we're saying is 2017 doesn't look much different than first century. And so we're not sure the exact body that Jude was writing to 
But they could be people just like us today. And so God has preserved this word for us today because he knew people, we don't really change a whole lot. You know, lots of great technology that maybe they didn't have back then. I still think there's going to be some wonderful technology in heaven. And I think it comes in the spoken voice. Right? I mean, we've never been able to touch that. So God just speaks and it shows up. You know, we've got to work with what's already there. God just, uh, phone, and it can appear, or steak, and it can appear. Uh, I'm not saying we'll have that. I'm just saying we might experience some of that. You know, he's got the most wonderful technology on the planet. That's the only reason we even have access to the limited technology that we have today. Uh, but here we've got this picture, nonetheless, of people who are living in a current context just like we are today, struggling against a society that Jude has outlined here as definitely ungodly. Uh, so lots of time has passed, but let's go to the Scripture here and just see that it's still as relevant today as it was then. Because what this could have done for these early believers, it could have caused them to panic. Right? When you start reading through all that list and you think about the culture you live in, you could find yourself a little bit overwhelmed or panicked or stressed, frustrated, angry. And so he's given them, like, you want to live a clean slate life? Then here's how you do it. You've got to remember some things. And so let's go to verse 24. Jude says, okay, in light of everything that I've just told you, I wanted to talk to you and sip sweet tea about how great our salvation is, but we're living in a world that's messed up. You've got to fight for the faith. You've got to contend for it because there's a lot of evil people slipping around you. And so here's some ways that you do it. But the main thing he reminds them of there is verse 24. To him, talking of Christ, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What a great reminder. I mean, when you think back 2016, did you stumble any? Is there a specific maybe moment that comes to mind? You thought, man, I really flubbed here. I, was just, I sinned terrible. Like I stumbled in this conversation or I stumbled in this relationship or I stumbled in my job. You know, our stumbling could be a weak faith where doubts have crept in and we're just not real sure that God loves us or that he's listening to our prayers or that there is a God. Now, that could cause stumbling. How many of you have people in your life that don't believe in God? Don't believe. And when you talk to them, they want to outline for you all the ways that they've proven that there is no God. You have people like that? Or they want to talk to you how the Bible's been disproven, um, so you shouldn't trust that anymore. You know, sometimes when we get in conversation with these people who seem to know a little more than we feel like we know about what they're talking about, you may find yourself to start wandering down the road of doubt. Okay? And so here Jude's writing to these people saying, you've got to contend for the faith. You've got to know what it is that you believe because people slip in who are sharing philosophies and opinions that are not God's. If you're not careful, they're going to draw you away. And so maybe in 2016 you slip somewhere a little bit doubting. I'm not just sure that there is a God. Listen, there's nothing uh, that's terrible about doubt other than it, it could drive us from Christ. Hopefully our doubts make us curious and they press us to know and to search at least what it is that we can know. And so here again he says, to them who, or to him who can keep you from stumbling. Maybe your stumbling was a lack of courage in a moment to speak up. I don't remember that last year. I do remember standing in a line in West Plains, Missouri at Walmart behind some people who were checking out. And I had a moment to speak. Like it was, I felt like time stopped. You ever had that moment like, Here's your stage. Now present the gospel. And these two people were looking at me and I just couldn't get a word out. And they're just standing. And it was just kind of like, I'm waiting for you to say something. I'm just, I can't get it out. 
And so when I think about letting a moment pass by, man, I'm just instantly drawn back to that moment where I stumbled. Uh, and only God knows how that turns out eternally. Um, but I know for me, in that moment, I stumbled. Maybe you've had a moment like that where you lack some courage to speak up. Uh, what, Joe, what Jude's trying to remind us of here, guys, is just simply this. This does not have to be a 2017. The only reason you and I will stumble is because we choose to. The only reason that I'll sin, it's not because God's not able to keep me from sinning, it's because I'm going to turn from God and indulge in my sin. Right? I mean, is He able to keep us from sinning? Absolutely, He's able to keep us from stumbling. Is He able to supply courage in the moment to speak up for Him? Absolutely. And so am I going to look to Him? Am I going to lean to Him? Am I going to have confidence in Him? Or am I going to stumble? Jude writes and says, hey, you've got to contend for the faith. The way to do that is look to Him. Now to him who is able to keep you and to keep me from stumbling. So there will always be the moment where we could stumble. The point here is simply know that Christ will strengthen you so that in 2017 for a clean slate we don't have to. All right? Now if 2016 is any indicator, we're probably going to sin somewhere along the way. Would you agree? It just tends to be our resume. However, what Judah's writing is this doesn't have to be the case. There is strength, there's confidence, there's hope, there's future grace for whatever it is you're going to face in 2017, and it's all provided in the person of Christ. He will keep you from stumbling, but you've got to look. He will keep you from stumbling, but you've got to pray. You've got to read. You've got to trust. You've got to lean. You've got to be willing to open up and demonstrate courage. All right, let's go to here this morning. A clean slate not also, also is going to tell us that those who believe in Jesus are eternally without blemish. So I don't have to stumble in my faith. That's not what 2017 has to look like for me. But I'm also somebody who's going to be without blemish. Now there's a lot of industry on this planet that makes good living off of covering up blemishes, right? Think of uh, you know, people that do makeup, that sell makeup. A lot of times you put on makeup, I'm told. I don't wear it. Um, but that's often to cover a blemish, right? Or there are people who can go even a step further and try to cover it up with surgery or something like that to cover up a blemish. Now, if you were to describe yourself, would you use the term without blemish? Let's change the word blemish for a minute. What about the word fault? If someone said, describe yourself to me, would you say, I'm without fault, I'm faultless? That almost sounds what? It almost sounds like I'm sinning. Yeah, it sounds a little arrogant, like conceited. Like, look at me, I'm faultless. So typically we run the other direction. Right? If somebody was going to say, oh, you think you're faultless. No, 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 let me tell you, I was in the Walmart line and didn't share the gospel with these people, and I should have. Like, we're quick to point out our faults, why it is that we're not faultless, or why it is that we are without blemish. Well, Jude's writing here, and he's wanting us again to know some things. He's writing, and he says, I remind you of this. See, we're good at reminding ourselves of our past sin. One of the great things that God has chosen to do is to forget your sin. Isn't that great? And what if every time I'm reminded of my sin, God's reminded of it also? Wouldn't you just hate that? Like, what I just saw go through my head, God, that just went across your desk. And I just can't hardly stomach that. Well, God says it's as far away as the east is from the west. In His divine power, He's chosen, I'm not going to remember. 
And you and I don't often have that, often have that same privilege or opportunity. And we'd like to forget. We'd like to forgive and move on, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. Have you ever had something creep up on you that you thought you were done with? You dealt with that and that was in your past and all of a sudden it comes back or you see somebody or you hear a song or a specific phrase and it's just like, it's just like it just happened all over again. It's kind of like, um, remember as a child, maybe even as an adult, when you hit your hand or you scraped your knee and it started to scab over, it was starting to heal and then for whatever reason you bumped it on something and that scab fell off and it just started oozing again and bleeding again. Sometimes that's how we are when it comes to forgetting the things in our in our life that we'd like to forget. I thought I dealt with that already, but I've bumped somebody or I've heard something and it's just reminded me all over again of my sin, of the things that I would just as soon forget. I would say most of us on the planet would say that we would not describe ourselves as without blemish. Right? Those things tend to ooze out. We have reminders that point to kind of all the things that we have done wrong in our past. Would you say you've had a clean slate for 2017? I mean, we're just like 11 hours in, right? <laughs> Have you done pretty well so far? All right, maybe somewhere we've already got the blemish there, okay? Uh, and would be true to our nature that tends to happen with us. But for 2016, we probably wouldn't describe ourselves as being people without fault or without blemish. Listen how Jesus describes us here. This is what Jude reminds us of. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, you've got to contend and fight. That You've got to battle. There's people all around you seeking to draw you away from what's true. Remember the one who will keep you from stumbling. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, how? Without fault. Without fault. Okay? So here about two months ago, we said, we've got to start saying over ourselves what God says over us. You remember that? We talked for about nine weeks about our identity. Who are we? What does His Word say? This is who you are. Let every other title fade as far as its importance or priority in your life compared to what God has said. This is who you are. And so here Jude's trying to remind you, you're not your 2016 mistake. You're not your 2016 past or moving further back. As God views you, and as Jesus will present you, you and I will be without fault. And so Jude's reminding us of something here. There's going to come a day where we come before God and we're going to give an account for our life. How would you stand before God? Let's get a little more personal. Let's get a little more intimate. Let's say that we're sitting at a table with, with God and he's sipping his heavenly coffee and we're sipping coffee with him. How would you present yourself to God? You know, in heaven, the Bible says there will be no sin, so there will be no remembrance of these sort of things. But if we could be there, if he could be here now and we have a conversation, we'd probably talk about how we have failed him, how we've let him down, you know, how somewhere along the way we just didn't measure up. You know, that's the work of our adversary. He's so good at deceiving us and making us feel worthless when all along through the merit of Jesus, we see that we're priceless. And so Jesus, we wouldn't sit there and say, all right, here's all the reasons I should get in. We would say, here's all the reasons you should never even love me. And yet here Jesus is going to say, based on my merit, all right, you are without fault. You are without blemish. Eternally clean. 
right? So you're faultless. You're blameless. You're without blemish. And let's see what this produces. What's that produce before we get to it? Does that give you a little bit of... Have you got any anxiety about coming before God based on what you've done in your past? Does it give you a little room to breathe? Just, I know He's holy, and John talks about what the room is like filled with smoke, and the train of His robe fills the temple, and how these things are all worshiping Him, how there's thunder and there's lightning, and it's just this great kind of holy terror. I understand that. But do you know that you could sit down with God and sip that coffee and know that you're without fault? Is there confidence there that you're without blemish? If there is, then what's that producing you when you're sitting there? Who's the one who's paid your way? It's Jesus, right? And so look at what the Bible, what Jude says, this presents or this creates in those who are this way. To him is able to keep you from stumbling. That's now present tense in this life. 2017, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with what? Great joy. I mean, isn't that the natural response? I could sit here and explain blemish after blemish after blemish, and God would say, I don't, I've never heard that, but I don't remember that at all. You're talking about things that are untrue, my son or my daughter. You're faultless. You're pure. You're holy. You're without blemish. There's nothing about you that's wrong. There's everything about you that's right. It's all been merited by my son, Jesus. And we would sit there and just like, you know, when you see a kid and a father or mother says to that child, I'm proud of you, and you just see it all over their face. They're just loving every second of that. Like, that's exactly what they needed to hear. That's what it would be like for you and I to hear from God that we're without fault, without blemish. There's great joy. Because all of this has come to us through Christ. The result of being without blemish is that you and I will have great joy. What this means is we are eternally out of reach from stumbling. Never thought about that? When you and I are standing in the presence of God, we'll never stumble again, ever. We'll never be tempted to stumble. We'll never give in to stumbling. By stumbling, I mean lack courage, lacking confidence, having fear or worry overwhelm us, giving in to some sort of temptation or sin. That won't be us anymore. Stumbling's out of the picture eternally. Our new name and our forever name is that we are without fault and we're without blemish. You know, there's nothing on this planet that can describe what an eternal clean slate will feel like. Nothing. You and I don't have the ability to think of life without sin. You and I don't have the ability to think of our lives without the sin in our past. And yet that day's coming. Right, where everything will be about the merit of Christ, what He has done on the cross. That will be reality for you and I. Right, so we're to contend for this faith. We're people who are going to be presented without fault, which will produce in us great joy, which should produce in us great joy today. Okay? It's not that God looks at you as sinner today, and one day when you stand before Him, He's like, oh, what happened? Now you're perfect. You know how God looks at you today if you're His child. You've believed in Him. For those who've believed in Christ, is their only hope. He views you without blemish. And so let that stir joy in you. He finds great delight in his children. And that includes you, regardless, and includes me, regardless of our past. Now let's go three here this morning. A clean slate is going to tell us this. God is going to be forever 
praised, and God is going to be forever exalted. And so this were things, these are things that we sung about this morning. He is exalted, and I exalt thee. And then Psalm 145 talks about how he will be exalted and how everyone and everything will ascribe worth to him. You know, an eternal clean slate is entirely dependent upon God. Right? Because I've proven even in 11 hours that I can probably mess things up pretty well. So an eternal clean slate is entirely dependent upon the eternal God. And the result will be this. If you're eternally clean, you and I will eternally be filled with great joy and we will eternally exalt or praise, worship God. And so let's go back here once again to the text. Verse 25. So here's the result. To him who keeps you from stumbling, to him who presents you without blemish, to him who's going to help you understand this great joy and offer to you this great joy because you're faultless. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And amen. So here we've got in every thought that we have and in every plan that we're going to make, the end goal has got to be the glory of God. And this is what Jude writes about. May everything in all creation bring God glory. And so may in all of 2017, may it, everything that, that we plan at least, may it be a desire to be about God's will. May we pray just as Jesus taught us, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we have a zeal, as David Platt talked to us about, a zeal for the glory of God. May we have a burden for people that don't know, for people that don't believe. May we in everything wish and hope, and pray, and expect that all these things will bring praise and honor to God. You know, so often we can get caught up in stuff, and I can do this too. When we just came through this past election, did it grieve our heart that everything about that didn't bring glory to God? And when we think about how we've maybe functioned in a classroom, or on a basketball court, or on a volleyball court, when we think about how we functioned in our home and somebody's been upset with us or we've created the upset, did it upset us and concern us that God's not getting the great glory that he deserves out of this conversation? Or was I more offended at what someone said or didn't say to me? You know, here Jude, along with the Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament, points us back to the glory of God. Everything, everything, the thoughts you're having right now should be God-glorifying. The conversation that we have as we dismiss here in a couple minutes should be able to glorify God. The way that I look at people in the supermarket who've been rude to me. Supermarket. <laughs> Grocery store. Whatever. I sound like I'm back in the Brady Bunch days. When you go to any store and you see somebody there that you've just had some difficulty with in the past, does that create in you, God, I want you to be glorified in this relationship? Or do we, oh, we've got to bump the next aisle because I, I can't see him right now. I don't have time for this. All that means is God's not getting the glory out of my life right now, at least not in that specific situation. And so here, Jude 25 says, to him, may he be glorified always in, in the presence of time now, but for all time as well. I also hope that as we consider what awaits us in light of our current reality, that we'll press on. 
I mean, it'd be easy, church, just to come in here every Sunday and talk about the goodness of the Lord, and we try to do that as often as we can. It would be good to talk about how He's blessed us and how thankful we are, how He's answered prayer and how He's opened door and how He's brought people to Himself, and we will celebrate that always. But there's also this part of it, while we still have breath here, before we're presented faultless, where we've got a work to do. And so Jude says, listen, it'd be great to sit and talk about this all day, every day, but the culture you're living in needs you to contend for the faith. Your world needs you to speak things that are true into it. Your children, your grandchildren, your Facebook and Twitter feed, the conversation you have with a neighbor or coworker, classmate, conversations that I have in my house with players, with friends, with classmates. It needs us contending for what's true. Because there's all sorts of philosophy and opinion out there that's pressing people away to things that are not true. So this doesn't matter how old you are. You might say, well, I can't run anymore. Okay, nobody's asking you to go run. Jews just saying contend. Stand. Strive not only with, but for. I want you to understand what's true, not just I oppose what you stand for. So may 2017 be a year like none other for you individually and for us collectively that we've contended for the faith. Yeah, we've talked about the common salvation that rejoices our heart. But maybe this time next year we can talk about how God's allowed our life to intersect with people who either didn't know what was true or they'd been told a lie or they'd been hurt in the past and they had balked. The result is there's been a movement of God. There's been an awakening in the heart. There's been a softening ear. There's been a more receptive uh, conversation. Now, the end result of all things is that God's going to be forever praised. It was Paul wrote, wasn't it, that said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I hope we have a desire for more knees and more tongues, more knees to bow and tongues to confess that He's Lord He's the Lord of my life rather than, oh no, I was wrong. He really is Lord. And at that moment, it's too late. Contending for the faith, living a clean slate life. I want to be somebody who's going to try to trust in the Lord in all ways so that I don't have to stumble in 2017. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling. You think he can't do it? Challenge him. Put him to the test. He'll show up every time. The Word says when there's a temptation, there's also a, a back door that's open somewhere. There's an escape hatch. There's a way out. But you've got to look for it. Right? Be people who are uh, encouraging others to, to look towards and to love, to praise and to exalt God our Father. And be people as well who know that our past is covered our future is covered as well. You're faultless. You're without blemish. May we live with that kind of great joy. So lots of hopes and dreams 2017 will hold. Lots of things will happen here that will be exciting. That we'll gather together and that we'll call one another or we'll text. We'll say, you've got to hear this. You'll never believe what happened. And there's also going to be some calls and some texts and some gatherings where it's like, man, I need you. I'm broken. Or I'm 
ravished. My soul just feels empty. I'm longing. Well, I'm going to need somebody, and well, you're going to need somebody as well. So all that this year will hold, I pray that we'll stand together. We'll talk about the good, but may we contend for the faith as well. And I pray our ultimate goal in all things, all times, that God will always be praised. And if anything falls short than that, I pray that will rattle our hearts a little bit. Not because you've offended me and you said this about my kids, but because God's not receiving glory.